Amen. Thank you, guys. So uh, Psalm 79, I keep thinking every week, um, if you're brand new walking into the life of Church of the Valley and stepping in and hearing Psalm 79 read over us this morning, there may be a question asked to you, why in the world would we teach through Psalm 79? Uh, so we're in the summer in the Psalm series, and we've been walking through the Psalms in consecutive order. So 10 years ago, we started in Psalm 1, and we've continued. And Psalm 79 is probably one of those that I, I think if we were to go out and Google search Psalms on, on our sermons on Psalm 79, we would probably find very few. I think there's very few people who uh, want to teach on such a heavy, depressing passage. And in many ways, we, we read this, this psalm, and this would probably be one of those that we would just overlook and keep moving forward, and let's get on to something that tells us more uh, about maybe the nature and character of God or who and what we are to worship. And uh, so we, we don't find a lot of uh, maybe strength or encouragement from this passage at, at first glance. And I'm thankful that Summer in the Psalms forces us to uh, look at certain psalms and really spend time gazing at a certain psalm and processing a certain psalm so that we can uh, really take everything we possibly can out of this. And that's what I hope to do today. And so as we get going, I want you to think of the psalms as a song, okay? This is a song. And how many of you know this to be true, that songs and music evokes memories? We've talked about that before. Just this weekend, I was spending some time with some friends, and we went back to the great year of my high school graduation, 1999, and decided to pull up the top 100 songs of 1999. There's some, there's some hits in there, right? There are some hits in 1999. Top 100 songs. Every single song took me back. It, it almost gave me just this, this picture of a place, of a time, of the people, maybe doing something that I wasn't supposed to be doing, right? Like that's, it, it takes you back to a certain place, a time. And interesting enough, this is an experience that's shared by everyone. You hear a piece of music, it could be decades later, and it actually transports you back to a particular moment. In fact, when my mom was in assisted care for Alzheimer's, they would use music as a way to draw back memories. It was a tool that they would use, and so they would, they would play music, and it would draw her mind back to things that happened or occurred in her life. It's a really, really helpful tool, but it would draw back your mind to memories from the past. I think about the, the history of the spoken word and before the printing press, things were handwritten copied and before things were handwritten copied, they were passed down through oral tradition. And so everything that you would put to memory would be something that was sung or chanted. And so you would, you would memorize things that way. And I think about Psalm 79 and I think about for a moment, I, I just can imagine the Israelites gathering at the southern steps of the temple and singing Psalm 79. 
And my question is, is I know the Psalms were written to do just that. They were, they were written in a way to draw your, ba- your mind back to a previous time, to draw your ba- mind back to memories of old, to draw your mind back to how God has worked in times past. And I'm wondering why in the world would you want to go back to Psalm 79? Why would you want to recount such a, a terrible, depressing time? I just can't imagine singing this song on a Sunday morning worship gathering about the blood being poured out of our fellow friends and family members. I can't imagine hearing Psalm 79 sung and desiring to go back to a place in time that it would bring back those memories. In some ways, we want to move past this. In some ways, we want to stuff and remove some of these memories from our life. But God believes it's essential that we draw our minds back to them. I think about our worship songs that we sing today. And I I go, how often they might fail to capture the emotion that Psalm 79 draws from. And so... I say all of that as a way of introduction to this question. As I processed this psalm, I wondered what it was like. I tried to to go back in my own mind to, to think about being there to be gathered for worship and singing Psalm 79 as a gathered people. What is what was the purpose? of this psalm? What memories is it wanting to pull you back into? What's it attempting to teach you as a way of reminder? Because that's what the psalms are created to do. They're, they're a guide for worship. They, they demonstrate how we can relate honestly to God. They demonstrate the importance of reflection and meditation upon things God has done for us. And so as they gathered at the temple to sing these songs, what was the purpose? What was the intended goal that for generations to follow, they would be singing this song. Well, I think it's important that we be reminded of what 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17 says. All scripture, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good Work And so there's something here in Psalm 79 that is for our reproof, for our correction, that we may be made complete by reading it. And uh, just to show us the value of the Psalms, I think N.T. Wright sums it up really well here. He says, the Psalms offer us a way of joining in a chorus of praise and prayer that has been going on for a millennia and across all cultures, not to try to inhibit them, inhabit them, while continuing to invent non-psalmic, so he's, he's not a big fan of non-psalmic worship songs. Based on our own feelings of the moment, they risk being like a spoiled child who taken to the summit of the table mountain with the city and the ocean spread out before him, refuses to gaze at the view because he's playing with his Game Boy. So there's a sense in which N.T. Wright tells us that these psalms are a gateway into fully seeing the beauty and expanse of all that God has has come to do and create. And in some ways, we can 
get so focused that in our own life and in our own circumstances that we fail to see um, all that, that, that God has given us here. So what I've, how I've phrased Psalm 79 today and what I want to do, and I think this is a great opportunity for conclusion. This is our last summer in the Psalms. Next week, we're back in the Gospel of John. We'll have new journals next week. Uh, but I ask the question, what memory, thought, feeling, or truth is this Psalm meant to draw us back to? What, it, what, is, what are we, we hoping to draw from this? And the first thing is this, and, and you've heard me say this over and over and over again this summer. The first thing, that we are the people of God, that we are the people of God, that we belong to God. We belong to him. Psalm 79, one through two. Catch when you read this. It's easy to look over. Who does all of this belong to? Oh God, the nations have come into your inheritance. They have defiled your holy temple. They have laid Jerusalem in ruins. They have given the bodies of your servants to the birds of the heaven for food, the flesh of your faithful to the beasts of the earth. And so we, we hear over and over again this, this, this idea of this is yours. So this isn't necessarily a, an attack against God's people. This is an attack. This is, a, this is war with God. These are God's people. We're, we're his. And as, as much as some of the circumstances that they're being surrounded with, and, and if you can imagine what's happened here, this is talking about Babylonian captivity. Jerusalem lays in ruins. Uh, bodies have been piled up. They've been left to be fed, it, fed on by birds. And, and they're running from the city. They're scattering from the city. It's in destruction. There's brokenness. There's pain. There's depression. And in all of this, there's a moment of going, we're yours. In some way, we're crying out, if we're yours, why in the world would you let this happen? If, if we're yours, if we belong to you, why, why didn't you protect us? And so it's the idea that we are, we are fronted with over and over and over again in the Psalms with, what is the purpose of suffering? If we're God's and we belong to him and he's powerful and he's in control, what, it, what is the purpose of our suffering? Romans 14, 8 says, For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. And you're going you're gonna to experience that and hear that over and over and over again. This is his. It belongs to him. There's purpose in our suffering. John Piper, you're going to hear from him a lot today in my sermon. But he says this, I've never heard anyone say that really deep lessons of life have come in times of ease and comfort. But I have heard many saints say every significant advance I've ever made in grasping in the depth of God's love and growing deep with him have come through suffering. It's through suffering that we grow. So these are the, the people of God. Psalm 79.5 tells us that the reason this is happening, the reason they're experiencing suffering is because he's a jealous God and he desires their worship. 
He's a jealous God and he desires their worship and they have failed to worship him. It says in, in verse 79, 8, do not remember against us our former iniquities. It's their sins that have led them to this place that God has allowed war and destruction and suffering to take place because he's after one thing and it's worship of himself. And he knows that if he can get us into that place of worshiping him, that we will be most satisfied. In Deuteronomy chapter 28, it's prophesied, the Lord will strike you with wasting disease and with fever and inflammation and fiery heat and with drought and with blight and with mildew and you shall be a horror to all the kingdoms of the earth and your dead body shall be food for the birds of the air and for the beast of the earth. The Lord will strike you with boils of Egypt and with tumors and scabs and itch of which you cannot be healed. The Lord will strike you with madness and blindness and confusion in mind because you did not obey the voice of the Lord your God, because you did not serve the Lord your God with joyfulness and gladness of heart because of the abundance of all things. And here's what Piper says in reference to Deuteronomy 28 kind of summarizing that. He would say that the physical horrors in the world can make sense to us and have meaning only when we come to embrace the biblical reality that sin against an infinitely wise, just, and good God is a moral outrage greater than the physical outrage of centuries of global suffering. I'll say that again, and he says, let me say that again. It is the heart of the matter, and it's very difficult for people without the Holy Spirit's massive work to embrace the physical horrors of suffering in this world can make sense to us and have meaning and eventual righteous resolution only if we come to embrace the biblical reality that sin against an infinitely wise, just, and good God is a moral outrage greater than the physical outrage of centuries of global suffering. Why in the world is he doing this? Because we're his. And he's gonna make sure that he gets his. He's going to make sure that he draws you back into relationship. We are God's and he is jealous for your attention and worship. Now, when we hear that, there's some of us that are already this morning somewhat kind of bristling against that. Just that idea of God sending suffering and pain to draw us. So you can see it in that light. You can see it as a warning or you can see it as an invitation to move us back into a place of resting in the fact that we are his. We are his. We were uh, in Men's Connect a few weeks ago, and uh, we were just talking about the ability uh, to rest and the ability to um, really just experience the fact that, that we're his. And uh, one of the guys in our group said, you know, at night, there, there's almost this overwhelming sense of feeling like I got to uphold this kingdom. And what he meant by kingdom is I got to uphold this, this home, this life, this marriage, my job, my career, my relationships. Everything around me is up to me to uphold because I've built this kingdom and I'm the king of this kingdom and I got to continue to establish it and make sure that everything is going smoothly. Now, what happens when we become the king of our kingdom is a lot of fear and anxiety. We don't make great kings. 
And so the overwhelming sense of anxiety and fear, we all experience that. And he said, but there comes a moment that I realize, oh, it's, it's not my kingdom. This is his kingdom. We are his. It's his inheritance. It's his people. It's his. We're his. And that is a safe place to be. In the midst of great tragedy that's happening in Psalm 79, it's important for us to remember with whatever tragedy or experiences that we're facing, the Psalms remind us that we are the people of God. We're the people of God. Second thing, we're to pray to God. We're the people of God. We are to pray to God. Psalm 79, 5 through 7, how long, O Lord? They're, they're crying out to the Lord. How long, O Lord? Will you be angry forever? Will your jealousy burn like fire? Pour out your anger on the nations that do not know you and on the kingdoms that do not call upon your name. For they have devoured Jacob and laid waste his habitation. I've said this before. You probably know this to be true. When trouble, suffering, hardship, when I'm faced with that, my number one priority initially is to work rather than to pray. My, my first inclination, when all things go wrong, I begin to strategize. Now, here's the thing. I'm the cause of most problems and experiences, but for some reason, I think that I just have a moment of intellect and I'm going to get myself over this, right? And, and so we, we tend to think highly of ourselves in those moments and we go, you know what, if I just strategize this, if I whiteboard this, then surely I can get myself out of this dilemma, this problem, this suffering. But what the Psalms remind us of over and over and over again that our first place that we ought to run is to God. That our first place, when trouble, calamity, pain, suffering, when it, we're hit with it, when we're struck with it, it's coming to run to God, to run to God, to pray to God. We're reminded in the Psalms where our help comes from. Dietrich Bonhoeffer says, the more deeply we grow into the Psalms and the more often we pray them as their own, the more simple and rich will our prayer become. R.C. Sproul says, in the Psalms, we have a collection of 150 prayers that were inspired originally by the Holy Ghost. If you want to know how God is pleased and honored in prayer, why not immerse yourself in the prayers that he himself has inspired? Right here, the Psalms. The Psalms are uh, a resource, a wealth of prayer. They, they point us and remind us that saints of old, people who have long come long before us, have saw, sought God as their only hope. Philippians 4, 6-7, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God, and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. You, do you hear that? And the peace of God, if we'll pray, it says, the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. If that's true, why in the world don't we pray? Why do, why do so many of us struggle with prayer? And I think prayer requires humility. It's not until our city is in ruins 
that we're brought to a place of prayer. It's, it's not until we've utilized every strategy in our books that we are sometimes brought to a place of prayer of going, well, I guess I can't really fix the brokenness of this world. So what do I do now? The Psalms remind us to pray. We've been commanded to pray. The brokenness of our world can only be healed by praying. And John Piper, one of his famous quotes, he says, God can do more in five seconds than we can do in five years. And if you've ever experienced just the breakthrough of God in your life in that way, you know that to be true. We have to remind each other of that. And over and over and over and over again in the Psalms, it, it draws our mind back to the fact that God has done just that. His people has cried out. God has heard their cry and he has redeemed them. He has saved them. God places his people in impossible situations at times so that they will cry out to him. So the Psalms remind us, we're the people of God. We are to pray to God. Third thing they remind us, that we are pardoned by God. That we are pardoned by God. Psalm 79, 8 through 9. Do not remember against us our former iniquities. Saying, hey, could you just forget those? Could you forget anything that's happened previously? Let your compassion come speedily to meet us, for we are brought very low. Help us, O God of our salvation, for the glory of your name. Deliver us and atone for our sins for your name's sake. We think about this and... In some ways, this is a, it's an honest request. It's also a crazy request. Can you imagine standing before a judge and be like, hey, judge, uh, can we just not remember anything that's happened previously? Can, can we just overlook all things that have happened? Um, let's say it's Sunday, July 30th. If you can remember everything, just forget everything that's happened um, from 1041 to the day I was born, that would, that would be awesome. Um, and then the thing is, is 1043 is going to hit and we're going to be praying that prayer again. Uh, if you could just look back and forget everything from 1043, 1044. And, and we just go, what a, what a crazy request to come and, and to ask God to forget. And here's what I would tell you. Uh, he doesn't forget, but he forgives. And he forgives through his son, Jesus. Jesus Christ comes to atone for sins. The Psalms were written before a time where they knew the saving grace of Jesus that would come, that would forgive us of sins, that sacrifice would no longer have to be made. That it says that Jesus comes, that he's the ultimate sacrifice, that he's the ultimate high priest, Hebrews talks about. And that he's going to come and he gets to sit down because what he does, he does once for all. And so this crazy request that, that we get to come and go, hey, could you just forget anything? Because of the blood of Jesus, Jesus' blood covers over everything in life that is previously occurred. 
and happen. Caesar Augustus had this quote I came across this week, and I, I thought it was awesome just in the sense of rest that, that he, he's like, it's just peculiar to, to think about the rest that people are having. Augustus wondered at a person sleeping quietly that was very much in debt and sent for his pillow. Hey, bring me that guy's pillow. How in the world is this guy sleeping so well? He has so much debt stacked up against him. Bring me his pillow. I want to know what's going on. Does he have one of those special mattresses? Does he have one of those like cooling beds? You know, that's all the rage. You don't know that. You can have like perfect temperature that matches your HRV status. And like, it's crazy, right? You can spend a lot of money just to get a good night's sleep. Caesar Augustus is wondering, how in the world is this guy getting such a good night's sleep with all the debt that he owes? And since for his pillow saying, surely there is some strange virtue in it that makes him rest so secure. No, it's, it's the work of Jesus Christ. Jesus comes to atone for sins, to give us the ability to lay our head on our pillow at night and rest. Jesus is the perfect fulfillment of every psalm. Over and over and over, as we read through these psalms, we see the saving need of God's people, and we see the fulfillment of that in Jesus Christ. Isaiah 55 verse 7 says, Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord. Why? So that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. God forgives. God forgives. How does he do that? How does he forgive? Psalm 79 3 It says, they poured out their blood like water all around Jerusalem and there was no one to bury him. What's interesting is there's gonna come a day where the blood of Christ will be poured out on the city streets of Jerusalem. Where Jesus will be hung city center on display for all to see and he will pour out his blood And that blood will not be in vain. It will not be uh, in in a sense for revenge. But in that very moment, Jesus Christ will die. He'll take on the sins of the world. When we think about the the psalmist writing, how often they, they point the finger at what people deserve. Let the groan of the prisoners come before you. Or, uh, you know, to, to basically like avenge our name. And ultimately, we fail to see our own sins in the midst of this. And we're reminded by this psalm, we need forgiveness. We're responsible. But Jesus Christ, his blood is going to be poured out in Jerusalem for you and I, for the forgiveness of sins, so that we might be forgiven, that God would abundantly pardon us. What good news. What a reminder. The fourth thing is this, that we have the power of God. That we have the power of God. Psalm 79, 10 through 11, why should the nation say? They're, they're basically mocking. And the psalmist is saying, hey, 
they're, they're just mocking us. They're act, they don't see your power. They don't see that you're over this. They don't see how you're in control of this. They don't see your strength. Why should the nation say, where is their God? Let the avenging of the outpoured blood of your servants be known among the nations before our eyes. Let the groans of the prisoners come before you according to your great power. Preserve those doomed to die. What a plea. Preserve those doomed to die. You can hear them just crying out. First John chapter four, verse four says, little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. The New Living Translation says this, but you belong to God, my dear children. You have already won a victory over those people because the spirit who lives in you is greater than the spirit who lives in the world. The Psalms remind us over and over and over again, the power of God over sin, the power of God over brokenness, the power of God over pain, the power of God over depression, the power of God over loss, the power of God over death, the power of God over rebuke, the power of God over isolation. Whatever it is that we're facing, God's power is stronger. It's stronger. And so we get to sit with this psalm continually. We get to sit with the Psalms and be reminded over and over and over again, as, this, as it says in this verse, according to your power. Let us see your power. Let us experience your power for those preserved, preserve those doomed to die. I, I heard this quote in, in, uh, in one of the uh, commentaries on that passage. It says, believers will find it in their wisdom to use this plea, preserve those doomed to die. Believers will find it in their wisdom to use it very frequently. It is the great gun of the battle, the mightiest weapon in the armory of prayer. That we just call on God's power. God, we want to see your power. We want to see your strength. We want to see your might. We know because of Jesus, you've already won. You've already given us victory over the battle. You've already won. We want to see that power displayed here on earth as it is in heaven. I have one last point. I'm going to go ahead and invite the worship team forward and begin leading us uh, because it, this psalm ends with a, a portion and opportunity for us uh, to praise God. That it moves us to a place of praise. Psalm 79, 13. But we, your people, the sheep of your pasture, will give thanks to you forever from generation to generation. We will recount your praise. That we are to praise God. And so these five things that we've illustrated here today, they've given us a, 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 a reminder of what the Psalms are leading us into. Over and over, we've been pardoned by God. We've experienced the power of God, that we're the, the people of God, and that we are to praise God. Charles Spurgeon says, before you go out into the world, wash your face in the clear crystal of praise. Bury each yesterday in the fine linen and spice of thankfulness. Do you have gratitude? Do you have gratitude? 
When I think about the early worshipers singing the psalm and gathered, I believe this psalm actually moved them to a place of gratitude. I I believe this psalm, when they saw Jesus reestablishing his kingdom, and yet they didn't fully know or fully understand, but yet we do fully know and we do fully understand because I think about Acts 1 where they're like, even still asking, Jesus, when are you going to establish your kingdom? And he's like, oh man, I spent three, three years with you and you still don't know, but we know. We know what Jesus has accomplished for us. We know what Jesus is working on our behalf. We know the fulfillment of these Psalms of crying out, God, save us. God, show us your power. Show us how you're going to be victorious over this situation that we can be moved to a place of praise today, that we can be reminded that God is at work in the midst of our struggles and our circumstances. I'll end with this quote. John Piper says, with true gratitude, there is such a delight in the worth of God's past grace that we're so delighted that we look back, even on Psalm 79, that we look back and we go, I am moved by his grace for God's people in the midst of that. That we are driven on to experience more and more of it in the future. It is done by transforming gratitude into faith as it turns from contemplating the pleasures of past grace and it starts contemplating the promises of the future. That's what gratitude is. Gratitude is taking a moment to reflect on God's past graces, how he's worked in times past. And the Psalms remind us of that over and over and over again, that we look back and see how God has worked. And when we look back on God's past graces, it gives us a hope and a faith to look forward into the future, that we see out into the future and we go, how is he going to work? How is he going to begin to move tomorrow? How is he going to come and pardon my sin tomorrow? How's he going to come in power tomorrow? How's he going to show us that we are his tomorrow? He's at work. So maybe in some questions of reflection, how have you seen and witnessed God's past graces in your life? And then to move that to faith and go, how are you believing and contemplating God's future grace? in your life. We have an opportunity to look back and see how God has acted and it gives us hope for the future. We've already won a victory because of the work of Jesus Christ. In the middle of our brokenness, we know God is working and we need to be reminded of that. We're gonna sing a new song this morning. The song was written by Shane and Shane and It was dedicated actually to the followers of Jesus in the midst of the war in Ukraine. It was in the midst of battle. It was in the midst of destruction. It was in the midst of turmoil. It was in the midst of suffering that this song rose. And so today, as you read these words, you might be thinking, what, how am I to respond to this? How am I to, 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 to respond to this song? And I would just say, if God's already won, through what Jesus did, then what am I to do? And I would just tell you to move into a posture of receiving that, of receiving it and rest in it. Have people questioning and wondering, 
How in the world do you sleep at night? Where do you lay your head? What kind of mattress do you have? For some reason, you're able to rest in the midst of this brokenness. And so I pray that this would be a song, an anthem, something that would draw your mind back to the reality of what God has done and what God is doing. I'm gonna have our worship, our prayer team here in the front to pray with you. If you have anything that they can come, that they can pray over, encourage you with, they would love to pray and encourage you. But let's all stand and let's sing and declare this song together. Jesus has already won the battle. Let's sing.